0: It is Father's Day, and so, like we said, Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, father's Day is a great day for some people. It could be a hard day for other people as well. And so, if it is a hard day for you, if you've experienced loss of a father, you you want to be a father and can't, you never had a father. Like I'm, I'm sorry for the difficulty that a holiday like this can bring up. Um, and today we're gonna we're not gonna talk too. We're talking about Abba, Father. We've been on this uh, multi-week long series talking about the different names of God, and. Abba, Father, is the name for God that we're going to be talking about today. And I was kind of joking with my wife, Katie. We've been going to this church for almost ten years, and we've never really had a sermon that lined up perfectly with a secular holiday. Um, and today's Father's Day, and Abba, Father, is the name for God today. And so I'm kind of excited about it, uh, but also it's not going to be too much about seven ways to be a better father. We're mostly going to talk about uh, how great how great our heavenly Father is today. And so. Abba Father is a special name for God. There are uh, a lot of different names for God as we're going through, and he's called Father several different times in the Bible as well in several different ways. And There's a name for God that's the most common version of Father, which is Pater. I'm probably saying that wrong, but I think it's Pater. Uh, and Pater is this word for Father that kind of means an ancestral male, like someone that the family line came from. It can be Near term, it can be a super remote or distant relative. So think about, uh, you know, the children's song, Father Abraham, and then he sounds like that's the kind of father that uh, we see God called when it's, you know, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. That Pater, Father. That is uh, this ancestral, this, you know, kind of founding father version of God as Father. And Abba, Father, is translated uh, into English. Like in your Bible, it still says Abba, Father, because Abba is a special word. It's a special name for God. Uh, But you can probably most think of it as the term for dad or daddy. It's like a special, uh, very intimate name, something that you would call uh, your dad, uh, not like one of the founding fathers of the country, right? You wouldn't call them your dad, like George Washington. Well, maybe Maybe uh, George Washington is someone here's Pater type of father, but uh, that would be cool. But uh, you still wouldn't call him dad. Uh, But Abba is this really special name for God that we get to to look at. And so we're going to look at two passages this morning. Pater shows up in the Bible like 419 times, and Abba for the title for God shows up three different times. We're going to look at two of them this morning. And so if you want to start turning in your Bibles to, first of all, Mark chapter 14, And then uh, if you really like to be ahead in the notes and know where we're going, you can also put a little bookmark in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to get there uh, a little bit later. But Mark chapter 14 uh, is where we're going to be this morning. Before we dive in, uh, we're going to start in verse 32. But before we dive in, I know we've done a lot of praying this morning. I just want to pray real quick before we read God's word. So Father, thank you for the opportunity to uh, look at your word. Thank you for the ways that you use it to sharpen us and teach us and change the way that we view you. Thank you f- that we can have insight into you through the different names that we see you called in the Bible. I pray that uh, as we do each week that you would just uh, come and teach us um, this morning, Lord. We uh, Take a moment in your own heart right now and, and ask God to teach you something from his word this morning. And now just take a, a quick moment to, to ask God to work in the life of someone else uh, around you. Maybe it's someone you know, maybe it's someone you didn't know, someone you came with or someone you just met. Uh, we want to be a church that prays for one another and for other people. So ask God to uh, to work in the life of someone else this morning. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to reveal the truth of your word, uh, and that you would do it in all of our hearts, and we thank you uh, for your great love for us. In Christ's name, amen. So Mark chapter 14 uh, is where we're going to get started today, and the there's of the three times that we see Abba, uh, that God called Abba Father in the Bible, the first one we're going to look at is Jesus, and the other two are going to be the Apostle Paul. So this passage here is, is Jesus. We're going to start in verse 32. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. So Mark chapter 14 is... uh, kind of in the middle of Jesus Passion Week, right? It starts on Tuesday and it bleeds over into the early mornings, uh, the wee hours of Friday morning. And what we see happening uh, is that, you know, Jesus has had this really big week of buildup into what he knows is ultimately going to be his death on the cross and then resurrection. But it starts with him riding in on a donkey and everyone's super excited, but Jesus knows exactly what this week is leading up to and, and the buildup that's happening here. And so it's not necessarily uh, an exciting time, right? Like the disciples probably think uh, Jesus is coming to hopefully overthrow the government or do something that's uh, you know gonna be this political uprising and Jesus is now gonna be in charge of everything and they're gonna be right there with him. But Jesus knows that this week is gonna end very, very differently, right? And so as he asked them to go, Across this chapter, we see things happen like his body is anointed for burial, and then uh, he shares the Passover with the disciples, which ends up being uh, not just any normal Passover, but it's the Last Supper, and he institutes communion. He tells Peter he's going to deny them, and then we find them here in the garden, and Jesus has taken uh, he's taken his whole crew of disciples and he said, let's let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray. And so they remove themselves from where they were and they go to this garden to pray. I think it's really important for us to think about the times in our life when uh, we're building up or working towards something that we know is going to be heavy or we know is gonna be hard or know it's gonna be stressful. We can learn from what Jesus does here. Jesus decides to go and to take time to pray to God. He takes his closest people and he goes and he prays. The passage says that he told, you know, his whole group of disciples to sit here while I pray. And then he takes Peter and James and John, the closest ones, and they go a little bit further away. And as he's becoming deeply distressed, he tells them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch while I go and pray. And so Jesus is, uh, making this decision, this active decision, uh, which he could have lingered at dinner for a really long time until he got arrested. He could have said, I wanna go do something that sounds a little more fun before I get murdered on a cross tomorrow. Instead, he goes and he chooses to take time to pray. And the the passage tells us that uh, that Jesus is sitting here and he's, his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It's a difficult feeling inside of him. And then he spends a significant amount of time in prayer. Verse 37 says that he returned to his disciples after he had been praying and he found them sleeping. And he said, Simon, can you guys not watch for at least one hour? Um, So Jesus prayed for a whole hour, which by my standards, praying for like an hour straight is a really long time, which is kind of sad to say. I wish that I prayed for like one straight hour a whole lot more than I really do. This is me standing up here and confessing to you all, I wanna pray for longer extents more often in my life. But Jesus didn't just pray for one hour. It says that he went, he said, can you stay awake? Can you not stay awake for one hour? And then in verse 39, it says that once more he went away and he prayed the same thing. So whatever he prayed for that first hour, he went away. He goes and he prays, and then he comes back. They're asleep again, and then he goes away again a third time and comes back. And so by my math, maybe it wasn't exactly, but Jesus was praying for about three hours, which is a super long time to go uh, and take to pray. But I think it's really important for us to just broaden our view of what praying through hard times looks like, right? It's not the, uh, I'm kind of in the car on the way to work to have that really hard conversation, like, Lord, please help me in this one before I get in my parking spot. Like, this is an intentional decision Jesus has made to go and and remove himself from that dinner and go to a place where he can focus and pray and and talk intimately with his Abba Father through prayer for probably about three hours. Um, and, And we see him do this, in a way where his humanity is really on display. Jesus is having a lot of emotions here, and the Bible tells us, we read it, and we want to take our understanding of Jesus from the whole of Scripture. The Bible tells us that Jesus is simultaneously 100% God, and also at the same time 100% man. And I think that we see a lot of the, the man side of Jesus coming out in this passage right here, right? Look at the words that are used to describe him. His soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He, he physically falls down to the ground when he's getting ready to pray. Uh, in Luke's account of this time of prayer in the garden, it says that Jesus was actually sweating drops like blood from the deep stress that he was under as he was agonizing uh, over what he was about to do and to go through and sometimes it's easy for us to understand like uh, to think about that Jesus was you know because he was fully God maybe it it was easy for Jesus to do the things that he was going to do today but uh, it really what we see from his emotions from the things that he is saying from the things that he's praying this was a super hard thing for Jesus like and I don't want to uh, belittle or understate any of the hard things that we are going through here and even this time of prayer. Like There are a lot of hard things that people are dealing with in their, in their own lives today. But uh, Jesus was going through something that will end up being harder than anything any of us will ever encounter, right? He is going to bear the wrath of God on behalf of you and I to, to take away the sin of the world. Like, that is the biggest thing that can ever happen, the most stressful thing of week of build up that anyone could ever have, that is what Jesus is going to go and to do. He's going to bear the wrath of God. And uh, in his humanity, like it is truly difficult for him to do this. Uh, and just because he is 100% God does not mean that this was an easy thing to do. So Jesus, Jesus in his reality is a, a savior for us that we can recognize his ability to empathize with the difficult things that we go through in our lives. I think that when we think about how the goodness of Jesus and that he came and was a man, it's important for us to think about how because he was a man, he experienced all the things that we experience. And he is able to relate to the things that we are happening in our lives. Like, he's not some God that sits up in heaven and says like, oh, you know, I'm sorry that this is hard for you, but also I'm God and I can't relate because everything's easy for me because I speak and the world comes into existence. Like, the humanity of Jesus is important for us because he, it allows us to know that our God can relate to us in the difficulty and the trying circumstances that are truly sorrowful and that create emotions like Jesus was having when he was looking towards the cross and dealing with what it looks like to be truly distressed. And in a time when you feel like, you know, you're kind of at a loss, Jesus goes and we see him go and pray. And when he calls out to God as he says, Abba, Father, he uses this really personal name for God. And this is the only time that we see in Scripture Jesus use this name for God. It's a time when he's in deeply distressed and he is looking to, God. And and he gives this lesson on prayer, and he says, like, you know, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is Jesus really crying out to God as God being his dad, his father, this personal and intimate name. And what he asks of God in this time, the first thing that he says is he says uh, there in verse 36, that God, everything, Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. And Please notice that Jesus doesn't say, God, some things or are possible for you, or God, most things are possible for you. What he comes and he says is that everything is possible for God. And this is showing us how big our God really is, right? Jesus' prayers and his belief and his faith in what God can do in this moment is not is telling us that our God is not limited by anything. The the difficulty that Jesus is about to face, like I said, is the biggest ask of God that you could ever go and put in front of God. Like no problem that you have, no issue that you can bring before God is going to be more difficult than what Jesus is bringing before God. And Jesus says and reiterates to God, everything is possible for you, It shows this deep faith, and I think that it's also very theologically important for us to understand how big our God is. Because uh, if you think about it for very long, you're like, I don't really want to serve a God that is super limited in his ability to do things, right? Like, that sounds like it wears out pretty fast. And I think that that's where we think about some of the things in the Old Testament and people worshiping carved images or stone idols. You're like, I don't think this makes a lot of sense. Like, this thing can't do anything to help you. Like, you actually fashion that out of your own hands, and we see the Apostle Paul kind of make fun of people for worshiping things that uh, they made out of their own hands, right? It's like, why do you think that's going to save you? But we get to worship and serve a God who is truly the creator of all things, who is in all things and through all things, and He's the one that holds all things together, and Jesus is helping inform our view of the things that God can really do as he, call, as he calls out and cries out to God and says, everything is possible for you. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you have this view of your dad. Like, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a five-year-old, uh, or almost five-year-old little girl. And uh, they still think that I'm a really capable dad, right? At some point in your life, you realize my dad really isn't Superman and can't do everything. I think Ruby is probably onto me at this point that there are some limits to the things that Dad can do. But our two and a half year old little boy really still thinks like, "Oh yeah, Dad's big and strong. Like he can do this. Like let's let's have him do it." And um, Jesus is telling us that we have a dad here in God the Father that really is capable of anything, that he's not actually limited by the things that you and I and all the earthly fathers out there are limited by, that God has the ability to truly do anything. Like Nothing is impossible for him and nothing is too big for you to bring to him in prayer. And that's why I love that as a church, we're taking time, Uh, like this morning, to pray for one another and to pray for the things that are going on in our lives. And I wanna encourage you as people to take times in your own life, like serious amounts of times to set aside and pray for other people and pray for the things that are happening in your life that God will come and work at them. Because Jesus calls out to God and he says, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And when Jesus says this, this is really his Act of submitting to God as his Father. Uh, Jesus is saying, God, you know, I have these things that I want. Take this cup from me. This is going to be incredibly difficult, which is like the understatement of the year, probably, that this is going to be incredibly difficult. This is going to be an impossible task that no one here could possibly be able to take on. Only Jesus, in his unique perfection, could take on the task that God was calling him to. And he comes and he submits to the will of the Father. We're gonna talk a little bit more about Jesus' submission and what that looks like, how that applies to us in just a minute. And so if you wanna turn over in your Bibles to Romans chapter eight right now, uh, we're gonna take a quick look starting in verse 12 uh, at what Paul says and how he uses the title of Abba for God. Romans chapter eight starting in verse 12. i will give you just one more second to get there. Uh, and Romans is like this this great theological, huge letter where Paul tells us a whole bunch of stuff that we gives us more depth and meaning to the truth of the gospel and how it applies to our lives. And chapter 8 specifically, it, he's talking about what life lived in and through and by the Holy Spirit really looks like for believers. Starting in verse 12, he says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature, to live according to it. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Paul starts this passage out by saying, therefore, brothers, and he says brothers because this is intended and this applies to people who have put their faith Jesus Christ. This isn't a passage of scripture that is for people who are not believers, who have not decided to follow Jesus with their life. This is a passage that is specifically for Christians. And he tells the brothers, he says, You have an obligation. We have an obligation. And that obligation is not to the sinful nature, it is instead to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And when you read Romans, within its context, you read the Bible within its context, you know very clearly that uh, the gospel says that we can't do anything to save ourselves, that there's nothing that we can do to change God's mind, uh, that we are fully justified and saved by the work that Christ has done on the cross. But he is telling us that we have an obligation to 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 put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, that we should no longer live towards our sinful nature, and that how we live on earth really does matter. It's important for us to remember that uh, when Jesus comes uh, and pays the price for our sin, that he does it for a reason. He does it because he loves us. And we do nothing to earn it. We do nothing to to garner that favor. and But we do become sons of God, as it says in verse 14, uh, when we are led by the Spirit of God. That is when we become sons of God. And to become a son of God means that you have believed the gospel. And when we say the gospel, what we really mean is that, Uh, us standing in our sin on our own are sinful, we're condemned to death, and we'll be separated from God. But God in his grace sent Jesus, his only son, to come and live a perfect life, then die on the cross and be raised from the grave three days later so that we could have eternal life here on earth today and in heaven one day with him. If you've never made the decision uh, to or you just want to know more about the gospel, if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus with your life, please come talk to me or to Brandon afterwards. We would love to talk to you about what it means to become what we call a believer or follow Jesus with your life. Um, I would love to talk to you more about what that means sometime this morning. And as we look in verse 15, it says, "'For you did not receive a spirit "'that makes you a slave again to fear.'" but you received a spirit of sonship, or your translation might say a spirit of adoption. And by him, that Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. We are adopted into the family of God. This is a really important picture for us to look at and think about this morning, that Jesus is the one who is the true one and only Son of God, but Through our faith, the Holy Spirit comes and testifies with our spirit that we are children, that we are now God's children. This is basically allowing us to be able to say, Abba Father, just like Jesus can say, Abba Father, and to call God our dad, just like Jesus can call God our dad. It's an amazing truth that we can. That we can call the creator of the universe, the God who is over everything, uh, the maker of all things, that we can have a level of access and intimacy to be able to call him our dad. Not just God our father, like the, the big like founding father kind of God, but that we can have a personal and intimate and special connection to God, just like Jesus has to God. Verse 16 says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. And that if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. And it is just an overwhelming thought to me to be called a co-heir with Christ, right? Because we are so unworthy of the things that Christ is the heir to. And he truly deserves them and uh is the rightful heir to everything that God offers. And we, in our sinfulness, uh, definitely are not. But that's the beauty of the gospel, that God looks at us, uh, and instead of seeing our sinfulness, he sees the perfection and the blood of Jesus covering all of our sin. And he sees Christ's righteousness instead of ours. And he adopts us in once again, not because of anything we've done, but he adopts us into his family, and we can now be called his children, and we have the ability and access to call on God just like Jesus does. So this idea of being uh, an heir, I think, like in America, we don't really have any royalty, but uh, Britain has a monarchy, right? So you can be an heir to something or an estate, but you can't like be an heir to the throne, right? Um, But in Great Britain, you you can be. So we'll use them as our great example. Uh, And Queen Elizabeth has been the queen for a super long time. I'm pretty sure I read that it was like going on 70 years of being queen. And I think that set a new record, uh, which sounds like it's going to be really hard to beat. Uh, Probably going to take a long time to be king or queen for more than 70 years. Um, But her son, Prince Charles, I'm pretty sure I got that right. My British monarchy info is not great. Um, But her son has been... Uh, prince in waiting for a super long time. Uh, and apparently she has no plans to give up the throne. and so he's gonna have to keep waiting according to the internet. But um, he is he is the heir to the the royal the Royal British throne, right? Like he has all the the honor and the the glory and like the respect that comes with being the heir to that throne. And that is something that is Jesus' rightful place. Uh, before God the Father, and yet they adopt the believers, you and I, into this family so that we can now have access to the king. I think about this idea of access, uh, and I want you to picture like a super huge company, like Fortune 500, 100, thousands of employees, giant skyscraper, and the boss on top, like, think that he or she sits in the big corner office, that is super hard to get to. And if you're someone that just works there, you're like, oh, you may have a meeting with the CEO once ever or something. Uh, and if, you, if you're gonna book a meeting with them, you either have to be really important or you're gonna have to schedule something through the administrative assistant and you know they're probably months out in advance to be able to get a meeting with this person. But if you are that person's child you get to just go talk to them, right? Like you get to ride the elevator up to the very top floor, say hello to whoever is at the front desk and be like, I'm going, I'm going into mom or dad's office, right? Like, I, And uh, it is a level of access that you get to a person that has control and power that uh, just a regular employee at that, that company, even if they're great, even if they're super hardworking, could never even hope to dream of, right? Like I don't even have to get on the schedule, like this is amazing, just walk right in. and. This is the same thing that happens for us. Like we have a level of access and intimacy to uh, not just like someone important like a Fortress 500 CEO, but the creator of the universe. We have been given access to him to be able to call him our Abba Father, a level of access just like Jesus has and deserves. And even though we don't deserve it, we get it. It is an amazingly beautiful thing that this sonship, this adoption has been given to us. And I think a lot about, you know, it's Father's Day. Like I think about all the things that a great father can do for their children, right? Like as a father, we want to provide for our kids. We want to teach our kids. We want to discipline our kids. We want to help them grow, uh, especially little kids, right? Like it, it changes when you're you're like middle age or whatever. But if you have little kids, like my two-and-a-half-year-old son, like, we have to provide for him. We have to do all the things for him, and we want to care for him. And the things that he can do in return for me are few, right? Uh, like, he can't provide for me. He can't feed me. He tries sometimes, but he can't feed me. Like, but uh, little kids can do a few things for their dads, right? They can, they can, do, they can love and appreciate their parents, and, and we feel that. Uh, and then we, they can obey and submit to their parents, other than that, I don't think that we have very much to bring to the Father besides our love and our obedience, our submission. And, uh, you know, just like little kids, we also aren't very good uh, at submitting to the things that God calls us to. Uh, our, our little girl's five years old, and she has uh, a double ear infection that she's working through right now. And it's kind of unique. Her ear infections don't really hurt her. She just can't hear. Like, we took the first time we realized it because we were like, hey, Do you want a donut? And she's just kind of sitting there, like, not responding. And we're like, hey, do you want a donut? We tested on both ears. And she was like, yeah, I want a donut. Like, why didn't you tell me you had donuts? And we're like, I've been sitting here yelling at you. Took him to the zoo earlier this week. And I thought if people saw me parenting, they'd be like, why are you yelling at your kids right now? Because I'm like, do you want to see the giraffes? Uh, Because she can't hear very well. But I think she's kind of started to realize that I know she can't hear very well. She's getting a little selective on the things that she can and can't hear, right? She's like, oh, dad knows I can't hear him, so I'm just gonna you know, keep playing instead of come and eat my vegetables. And um, and I think that's how we are too with God, right? Like God calls us to things and he asks us to do certain things and then we're a little selective on the things that we hear when he calls us to them, right? Like there are some things I'm like, sure, I'm happy to do this one, this works for me. But then God calls me to something else and I'm like, ah. I'm just gonna keep going. I'm just gonna keep chugging down this path of life and not submit to the things that God calls me to. But that is not the example that Jesus gives us here, right? And we read the Bible, we wanna be like Jesus, and Jesus gives us a really different example. If you flip over to Hebrews chapter five real quick, uh, in verse seven, it says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears, to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus' submission to the Father when he prayed, yet not what I will, but what you will, God, it did not result in like this, really great outcome for him, right? Uh, he still died on the cross. He still bore the punishment for my sin and for your sin. But what God did in that moment, uh, in Jesus submitting to His will, it says here in Hebrews that when uh, when Jesus submitted to Him, that He was heard because of His reverent submission, and He learned obedience. Verse nine says that once he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Like Jesus' submission to God allows us to have this eternal salvation, right? It didn't work out amazingly well for Jesus. And you look at all the heroes of the Bible, the submission usually ends in like martyrdom or exile, like some sort of really bad situation. Jesus goes and dies on the cross. Submission to God is not guaranteed to work out super well for you. But uh, God does promise, uh, like in Romans chapter 8, he promises that he's going to work things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that doesn't mean that it's going to just be like awesome for you today. But like Jesus in his submission, we see that God uses that reverent submission as a source of eternal salvation for you and for me. Like God has a plan that he's working out, and our obedience to his submission never means that we may get the result that we are praying for, right? Jesus prays, and he says, God, take this cup from me. But then we look, and when you look at in the Gospels, you can see different things and different writers capturing different elements. And when we hop over to John in chapter 18, verse 11... We have at the end of this scene in the garden, right, Judas comes and the people have their pitchforks and their torches and they're going to arrest Jesus. Uh, and Peter whips out a sword and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. He's, he's like, no, we're going down swinging. Like we're, we're not going out without a fight. And Jesus stops him and he says, Peter, don't you know, like if I called my father, he would make 12 legions of angels here at my disposal. Like I can get out of this if I want to get out of this, but I'm not going to. He says in John 18, 11, that shall I not drink from the cup that the Father has given me? And I think that this cup that he's saying, that he's telling Father, I'm gonna drink from this cup. Like, I think this is the same cup that Jesus asks here in Mark that God would take away. He knows what God is calling him to do, and he's going to submit to it anyway. So I really have like two questions for you today as, as we take this passage, we take this name of God, Abba, Father, this intimate name for God that we're allowed to call upon, Uh, and the first question is, what does submission look like in your life? What does submission to God's will in your life really look like? I don't have the answers for you. I can't stand up here and tell you exactly what it is that God is calling you to do today. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know for sure that God, as our Abba, Father, is calling us to be submissive to whatever that will is. So I'd encourage you to think about the things that he's calling you to, the things that you may be a little bit like our daughter right now and kind of wanting to pretend like you didn't hear and to really fully submit like the example that Jesus gives us. The second thing that uh, I want you to think about is this question of how does the knowledge of of your adoption as a child of God change your view of your own personal value the way that you view yourself, your purpose in this life, and the way that you prioritize your life. As children of God, as God's children, we become his representatives to the world, right? Like your view of the British monarchy is either like great or not great, I guess, depending on which one of the princes or other princes that you're looking at and the way that they live. I don't know enough about them. I know one of them's not in there anymore, maybe because of the way that he lived. And so, um, like the way that we live, Paul tells us the way that we live really matters, right? And it matters because we are representatives to the world of this family and our father that we have been adopted into. When we look back at that passage in Romans, it says that... Uh, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And it's our responsibility as a co-heir with Christ to represent Christ well and to represent God our Father well in the way that we live. And when we know that we are children, sons and heirs of God, it should change the way that we think about who we are and our personal value, right? Like we are valuable, not just because God made us in his image, but because God has adopted us into his family, like so when you find yourself in times of self-doubt or depression, I wanna encourage you to look to the adoption that God has brought around you and wrap your arms around you as his child because of your faith. In Jesus Christ, I want you to think about your purpose in this life, the things that you're going to do, the choices that you're going to make. You should make them because you are the son or daughter of the King, right? That what would, what was, uh, what does royalty do with their time, right? Like they, they do things that are important. I think uh, they do things that and they're going about things that really matter. When uh, Mary and Joseph lost. Jesus when he was like 12 years old, right? They went to Jerusalem and then they lost him and he was in the temple. And they said, where were you? He's like, I've been here. And they're like, why didn't you know I was here? He's like, you should have known that I'd be about my father's business. Is what Jesus told them. And I think that those are, that's the way that we should uh, view the things that we spend our time on, right? The way that we prioritize our lives. Like we should be going about our father's business. And this idea that he is our intimate Father, not just Heavenly Father, big, up there, disconnected, but our personal, intimate Father to really change the our view of how we prioritize the decisions that we make in our daily life. So this Father's Day, for believers, we can celebrate our Abba Father who loves and cares for us more than any earthly father ever could. We can enjoy our adopted sonship and we can submit to his lordship in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how great you are. Thank you that you are our Abba Father, that we have a personal and intimate relationship made available to us because the Holy Spirit has come in the power of Jesus to make it so that we can be adopted into your family. I thank you for all the depth and the things that that means and the way that we should think about ourselves, the way that we should choose to live, and the ways that we should submit to you as our dad, just like young children submitting to theirs. Lord, I pray that we would be both encouraged and challenged as we think about the way that this name of God applies to our lives today and that we would go out and represent you, our Father, well. In Christ's name, amen.
1: Let's stand and uh, sing one final song. and Just right before we do, I want to just reread just a little portion of the scripture that Carson was sharing with us. I want to seal this into our hearts and and, um, really sing to the Lord in response. Um, The Spirit himself confirms to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer together with him, so that we may also be glorified together with him. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us. With that in mind, let's sing of the goodness of our Father God. So good, God. You're so good. You're
0: so good to me. Yes, praise the Lord. So, as you go, you have a week to go out and do your stuff. And as Carson just preached, man. This is the reality that God is our Father, and Jesus has won access to him. So don't waste it. Like, pray to him. Pour your heart out to him. You are valued infinitely because of what Christ's submission to his Father has won for us. So take it and use it this week. Pray, know your value, and walk as a child of light and go in peace. Amen.